This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mass Bay Guides. Mass Bay Guides is our family-run charter fishing fleet that's based out of Situate, Massachusetts. We've been providing anglers with the ultimate fishing adventure for over 20 years. Whether you're looking to put together a multi-boat corporate fishing trip, a trip for your family, or you're an avid angler looking to catch a giant bluefin tuna, our crew will do anything it takes to make sure you and your friends and your family have a great day on the water. To book a trip with us, please visit the Mass Bay Guides website, www.massbayguides.com. You can search prices, trip information, and get the latest reports and links to our social media pages there. You can also find us directly on Facebook and Instagram and just search Mass Bay Guides. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. If you didn't know already, Costa makes the best fishing sunglasses in the game as far as we're concerned. They've been the only sunglasses that Taylor and I have worn for the last decade. The honest, honest truth. That's all we've worn for, for the last 10 years um, of our fishing career. Whether you go with uh, the blue mirror lenses for your bright, clear days offshore, we use those a lot for the canyons or you decide on the green mirror lenses for inshore shallow water applications, you really can't go wrong with, with any of the lens colors that contain their, their 580 color enhancing polarized lens technology. All of the frames are high performance, high quality. Personally, I'm a big fan of the Fantails. I don't have a super big head. They're a medium frame fit. They've been my go-to frame for the last 10 years. Um, I have them in three different lens colors, blue mirror, green mirror and the new sunrise silver, which has been awesome on overcast days, which anyone who tuna fishes knows those are the days that we dream about, but those have been, those have been great. That new color lens has been awesome. If, uh, if you visit costadelmar.com, you can see all of the products they have to offer and pick yourself up a pair. Costa sunglasses, see what's out there. This episode is also brought to you by deep. New England born and bred, Deep is inspired by the fit of the skate and surf retail world, anchored in the technical aspects of the outdoor and offshore fishing apparel market. Deep designs clothes that bring comfort in the elements and also at the bar and restaurant. If you visit shopdeep.com and use the promo code CBROS35, that's with a capital S E A B R O S 35, you'll get 35% off your next order. Our newest sponsor to the podcast is LT Marine Products. Since 2011, LT Marine has been designing and developing innovative, unique, and high-quality American-made sport fishing equipment. Taylor and I have known the crew at LT since they started. Chris is a great guy. Uh, We've been using every single piece of equipment um, that he's he's made over the last several years. his rod holders are extremely heavy duty and high quality. He has the machining equipment to be able to put your boat name on the face plates um, and do other custom work as well, which is pretty cool. Um, and recently, over the last couple of years, we've worked with him to develop some new products that have actually been very popular amongst the the Northeast um Northeast fishermen, specifically offshore and uh, and tuna fishermen. So two of those products have been his uh, his swim hook for if you're harvesting a big big giant tuna, um, 
you know, you want to take care of that fish as, as best you can prior to bringing him on board. And part of that process is after the fight, swimming the fish, you know, for a certain amount of time, kind of depending on the health of the fish and, and how the fight went, but usually ends up being around an hour to get all the lactic acid out of the muscles and, and give a, a better product at the end of the day when we, when we sell our, when we sell our fish. So we helped him design a, an affordable swim hook to be able to tow the fish behind the boat at a low speed and, and accomplish that goal. So, um, that was a pretty cool product that we, that we collaborated on. And another one is, uh, the new LT Marine, uh, release hook. We've been doing a lot of release fishing for giants uh, over the last couple of years with the way that the quota, the quota has been open and closed. So we've really had a need for a way to properly revive these fish and get them back into, uh, into good health upon release. So um, if you go on the LT Marine website, you can see the release hook there. Uh, you can also go on our Instagram, Facebook, and see how we have it rigged. But it's a it's a tool that we've implemented um, into our our process aboard our boats, and and it um, it makes releasing fish a lot safer for the crew, a lot better for the fish, and um, it's a really high quality product. Um, we used it all season, never had a problem, never broke it. So definitely check out that new that new release hook. Um, from LT, um, or if you want to see any of Chris's products, visit ltmarineproducts.com. Please make sure you use the promo code CBROS for 10% off your next order. Our next sponsor is Black Oak LED. Black Oak LED manufactures high-quality LED lighting at a reasonable price for many different industries, including hunting, fishing, military, and tactical. If you're looking to upgrade the cockpit lights, spotlights, under gunnel lights, underwater lights on your boat, uh, make sure you check out Black Oak LED at www.blackoakled.com or at Black Oak LED on Instagram. Uh, Taylor and I just purchased the 360 Marine LED light bar kit uh, with the 30-inch light bar uh, for the new... Um, the new line shy. It's the name of our new center console that will be running um, starting next season. So that kit includes a 30 inch light bar, like I said, and then four flood combos uh, that we're going to kind of spread out evenly across the T top to, um, to illuminate the deck and um, help us get bait on, in low light conditions. Uh, all that for around a thousand bucks. It's a great price point, awesome product. Um, and they have a lifetime warranty. If you need lights and want to go with Black Oak, please make sure you use our promo code GIANTBLUEFIN. Uh, that's all one word, capital G, for 20% off your order. Our guest on this episode of the podcast spent his youth growing up in the South Shore of Massachusetts. He was fortunate enough to have been exposed to offshore fishing by his father and uncle at a very young age, and he was on the boat for his first giant bluefin tuna at just five years old. He earned his captain's license when he was 18 and has experienced nearly every fishery that the Northeast has to offer. His experience stems far beyond New England. Our guest has been at the helm of various large sport fishing programs, including an 80-foot Merit ET and multiple 66-foot Vikings. He has traveled and fished his way through the Bahamas, up and down the East Coast of the United States, and even Pinas Bay, Panama, 
He has extensive fishing experience in the Northeast Canyons, Mass Bay, and George's Bank as well. He is currently the captain of the Pescaria Sport Fishing Program, one of the only 42-foot Freeman hulls fishing up here in New England. I've personally had the pleasure of tournament fishing with him, learning a lot from him, and enjoying some savage offshore fishing trips together. Get ready to hear some incredible fishing stories, tactics, Enjoy some humor from one of the most detail-oriented and down-to-earth captains around. Without further ado, please welcome to the podcast, Captain Miles Daly. Welcome to the Seabros Fishing Podcast. <laughs> oh, God. Doing about 12 pounds since Christmas. You're up 12 I pounds? I don't look like I have friggin', I'm not sick anymore. I looked fucking awful this summer, dude. I felt like shit. I looked like shit. Yeah, but like, you were busy. I'm putting a blender on the boat and my fucking protein shakes. You'll love them. Have you been working out too? Yeah. Yep. You're looking, uh, you're looking fit there, You're fucking better, dude. Big time. I worked out this morning. I was like this great. all summer long. It's like, <laughs> eat like shit. It's horrible. We need more parfaits. You're on going the boat. too fast. You're losing weight. Dude, it's nuts. <laughs> My, my morning and right before I go to bed shakes, 1,190 calories in 70 grams of protein. Jesus. So that's what we're going to have in the mornings, dude. Wait, your energy in the mornings in the canyons can be like, pow! <laughs> Let's fucking go. Hopefully it'll get Manny off his ass a little bit. <laughs> morning two, Manny. <laughs> we call morning it. two, I Manny. I experience dude. this one day. Oh, yeah. Dude, morning oh, yeah. two, it's like, snap out of it. We fucking need you. <laughs> you know, like, like are you ready? <laughs> Drink a Red Bull and get your shit together. The cockpit's just like, he's like, dude. Uh, <laughs> what? Oh, dude, we had some funny ones with him. You can remember amazing. though, like, well, I'm sure we'll talk about him. But yeah, he didn't turn 15 until September, so everything That's you young. dealt with last year is a 14 year old. And it's he's also a 14 year old you could put in the bow with a 200 pound big eye and leave him alone. Yeah, no, he's not like a charter guy. You're like, you okay? All right, reel down the waves. And you just fucking leave him. Yeah, you know. Oh. <laughs> that's cool yeah he's, he's i always cool. forget that he's that young because he's, he's like young. six inches taller than me yeah you get a 14 year old like oh there's a white freaking feeds him got him on jump you're like fucking right on dude <laughs> no i didn't even see him yeah i've been doing this a lot since I... you were born oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i think we need to hit him with just right off the bat rapid fire so the way we the way we do this we fucking st- bring him we start with rapid fire it can be one an- one word answer. If you give us a one word answer, there's a good chance we're probably gonna like ask you a million more questions. Yeah, you gotta fill up two hours. You gotta fill up two hours. It'll fill quick though. So we have And storytelling. Oh yeah, dude. There'll be plenty of storytelling. Oh stories. So we have how many questions here? So a bunch of my stories involve oh. Lou. For some reason, all cool shit always happens when I'm with Lou. We have eight questions. All right. Want me to go first? Yeah. I think you can just run with this one. All right. Oh, we're already recording? That's how we roll. We just fire away. Circle hooks or J hooks? <sighs> these kind of questions, what they do is they take like where you started and where you, where you are now. Where so you it's progressed. like, do you forget your roots or do you I like that, run roots. with where you are now? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I would say if you take it on like a 12-month basis... I'm going to say trolling. Yeah. Trolling. Because that's where you find more of your hours at, yeah. at the end of a calendar year. So trolling, circle hooks or J hooks? Trolling? Yeah. 
Jayhawks because my my love will always be they'll always love lie with tunas. What's your favorite? That answers one of the other ones. Yeah. What's your favorite hook? If you had to pick one, if you had to pick one hook, one trolling hook and one live bait. Hook. One live bait hook. That's a good question. Trolling <laughs> hook, hands down, seventy six ninety eight DT. Okay. Because the single Derrick strength, in. the single strength is going to open up. Yeah. If you you know a monster big guy, you hook a giant bluefin in the canyon. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> Waste of how many hours, dude? Uh, waste of too many hours. It wasn't bad though. Hey, at least I released them quicker well, than than we should have. Yeah, you you re- <laughs> that was the uh, the four blade release. Uh, um, no, but seventy six ninety eight DT. I'll pull the same one in Horse Valley, who's in the canyon. So I'll catch a two hundred pound big eye on the same hook set. I'll catch a seven hundred pound bluefin, and you never have to worry about it opening up on you. Sometimes you pull them though because it's trolling. Yeah, you do got to yeah. wash them though because they'll rust. You got to wash them and yep. just keep putting a point on them. That's the the water. The water will work over yep. time. You got to yep. keep a point on them. That was like the first thing when I fished with him for the first time a couple of years ago. He's like sharpening hooks was the first thing we did yeah. when I got down there. And Especially sharpen them overboard. Insanely- yeah. You want to talk about a pet peeve? Sharpen sharpen that hook overboard. Yeah. I like doing it like right over the electronic. <laughs> <laughs> And then after a nice morning dew, you have 10,000 mini rust spots all over the Perfect. boat. Yes. Uh, all right. Live bait hook. Live bait hook mm-hmm. for the few I have left, which might take me through this season if I get enough of them back, is the Gamagatsu grouper, which they never made in black, and I'll never understand why. The saltwaters, the live baits, they come in black. Some of the best what? hooks in the world, they do not make black. I don't get it. Drives why can't they have a black yeah. Gamagatsu grouper, I'll buy a thousand tomorrow if there's <laughs> yeah. twelve and thirteen not Gamagatsu yep. groupers in black. Gamagatsu, if you're listening, make <laughs> the effing hook. And I don't know why, but the goose hummock two years ago, maybe they got some you know dusty inventory from somebody's warehouse, but I just walked by and holy crap, there they are. So I just put my hand to the back of the row and just shoveled them all into my cart. <laughs> Every it's like single saltwaters guys are doing the same thing. And then two years ago, like you're still, you know, with the way the quota is now, we're releasing more fish than ever. Right. So you're getting down super close. If it's going to be a pain in the ass to get the hook out, and you know you're cutting it right at the hook to give them no leader. But now it's like I'll I'll keep that thing both side for five minutes and get that hook back. Yeah. Right? Because I'm I'm running on them. <laughs> <laughs> and and my friends are the same way. A lot of my friends that that fish tune is on Cape. You know they're. You know, we'll text about it. I'm down to 30. I got 18 left. I'm like, dude, I'm like 15 to 18. And I got some from you, Brian, which yeah, is nice. They, they will be used. I had an old what did you, Ronnie Braun What did you do to get form. those? Yet you pry those from his cold, dead fingers? He, he, he brought them down as, as a peace offering. <laughs> oh maybe, he, maybe he did something on the boat That's I don't incredible. know about. Yeah. Or, you know, there's a dent or a scratch his, somewhere. Did you ever see his old shop in his old house? No. Hoarders buried Hoarder, alive. Buried alive with not them. bad though. It was organized. Dude. Hoarders buried alive. He had no lie. Had enough chafe gear hooks in like spro swivels for probably like three to ten charter seasons. Hundred percent. I still do. The spro swivels are important to me. I have about a hundred of those on the boat at all times. But I feel like we got to go to like Ronnie Bronze or something. Like there's a box of these somewhere yeah. that we don't yeah. know about. We're not if anyone's thinking. listening, they have a box of grouper hooks. What do you use? 11 on? 12s and 13s. 12s and 13s. 
the eleven's on like the little herring, but whatever. I'll just Miles they can will pay they can lug a twelve around twenty and thirty grand for a box of these hooks. <laughs> I feel bad for some of the mackerel that get a twelve out grouper because they can't pull it around. They they look like the 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 dog from the original. <laughs> Um, Grinch, Grinch that stole Christmas with a huge freaking antler on his head. <laughs> kids Holy movie. Shit. You know you have kids, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, all right. You kind of already alluded to it, but tuna or billfish? Where I start. I mean, Blue Island are great, and I hope Bob never listens to this. I'm sorry, Bob, my boss, but yeah, I mean, nothing's ever going to match a tuna fish. It's, What's it's, your favorite tuna? I'll start at it. A bluefin tuna. Yeah. Which is a coming from a guy that's fished the canyons a lot. Yeah. I caught every... Sp- Who do we have Many hundreds that, um, and thousands of, of spe- all species up here. So who do you just have that? Tommy. Big, Tommy said big Tommy eyes. Tommy said big eyes, yeah. And big eyes are awesome. And it's, you know, thank God that there aren't 800-pound big eyes at the southwest corner because there'd be, there'd be a madness. Yeah. You would need the old stump pullers. To, to yeah. land those things. Those fish would be some of your uncatchables. They're mean. You'd know. Yeah. Nope. Oh, it's one of those big guys again. We're not going to catch them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, What's the next one? Um, pet peeves. Oh, pet peeves. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> How about this? Pet peeve as a mate and then pet peeve as being on the boat and then watching a captain do his thing. Well, I, I've had to relax on my pet peeves. We, we got out of our boat, our 66 Viking, December before COVID. And then COVID hit, and the world shut down for a few months. And then we, we had, like right before it was getting bad, my last flight was in early March, and we walked after survey on a 72 Viking. So we've been kind of out of it. So... On a big boat where everything's stored, you remember Brian fished on the big boat. You could lift up that aft couch, and all you saw was label maker and Plano trays. Like, yeah, I know it's on the backside to the right in the corner. It's it's in there. I need a three ounce blue and white Joe shoot, and somebody who's familiar with the terminology could produce it in thirty seconds. But the organization was always huge to me and I got it. I had to relax a bit this year in a center console on it being, there was a lot of storage on it. I had to relax on some of my pet peeves, but you know, you look over and see somebody sharpening a hook, not over the water or sharpening a hook into the wind. Cause you know what that's going to mean in a day or two. Yep. Open snap swivels mm-hmm. in your tray that might be labeled snap and barrel swivels. You ever, grab the snap swivel you want Something and it's open and it takes 17 <laughs> others thing. with it. Yeah. The yeah. whole <laughs> tackle box comes with it somehow. Little things like that. Um, you know, and, and more or less if, if I ask something once and I know you're better than that and then I have to ask it again, you know, just, just paying attention to details. Yeah. Making sure that hook is sharp or take a look at the bail here before you put it out or if you get you get a cover up and everything comes in a few rods going to different rod holders so that you can land this fish know where they're going. <laughs> and then there goes the short rigger back out to the long position or somebody's putting the longs out together. Maybe Brian put the left long out first and you know, guest number six is putting the right long out, but it's either you can't see it or it's already tangled in the short. Like just 
taking a little bit of an evaluation because we try to go over this stuff with people before we fish, but if you just kind of take a second and look at what's going on, it'll make the difference to when it's time to do something. We're not going to ask you to do something that's kind of over your head yet, but putting things back in the same position or not dumping that long back because you might have to reel the short in a little bit to clear it. Or if, you know, the circle hook and the flat lines, we've been looking at them all day, but you just put yours out 60 feet. Mm-hmm. You know, just to, our time is limited out there. So if you can, if you can just take a second and think about it and, it, and you try to be lenient or give a longer leash to the people who haven't done it much. Like mm-hmm. we had a few first timers in the canyon this year and they did great because we kind of went over the stuff with them mm-hmm. a little bit first. Right. Um, but yeah, tackle organization. The rocket launcher drawers is another huge pet peeve of mine. It's like the everything drawer in the kitchen, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And I had to go a little easier on that this year in a 42 Freeman. But on the big boats, nothing was ever in there other than maybe something that was used an hour ago. Mm-hmm. Or something that we're going to use a lot. Like if we're we're drifting out east, it's going to have a needle and some floss in it. And that's it for the day. You don't need a right. snap swivel in there. There's no need for... A barrel swivel you cut off two hours ago because that already should be should be back where it belongs. But yeah, for the most part, it's just keeping a tight ship. And then when we're living on the boat, a big pet peeve of mine was when you'd go in and yeah, there's toothpaste in the sink or there's the dish in the in the sink like, or, or, fat, or, a fat, or a yeah, fat log like floating around. God, in the you got to live like a ghost. We we don't yeah. live here. You know, we live here, but. Somebody could walk on this boat. We don't live here. Make your bed. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, any mates that I've ever had in the past, one of the first things I ever say when, when we hire him is I'm not your father. I'm not yeah. going to wake you up. I'm not going to tell you to clean your mirror. I'm not going to tell you to get the crap off the vanity. Yeah. You know, you're, you're an adult now. This is, this is a paid job. Your check comes every week and welcome to the real world. Yeah. That's a good point. I think it's eye opening too. Yeah. You know, I've had 19-year-olds that you did, I've had this conversation with them, and I hope to have it once. But um, for the most part, it, it's been fine. But yeah, housekeeping, you're not just a fisherman. You're human resources management, your family psychologist, your mechanic, engineer, fishing. You know, your Jack of all trades. Like the last part, really. Yeah, it's about 5% of the job. Yeah. yeah. You know? Well, your job. Right. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Driving and fishing make up a, a small piece of the pie. Yeah. It all boils down to time, too. Being organized and having a spot for everything and going through that orientation with new people. I mean, I've learned a lot about maximizing my time fishing with you, you know, and, and with everyone, but you specifically. Like hook, hook time, you know, you don't have a whole lot of time to execute out there. Amazing so. how fast it goes by. Exactly. So if you're always scrambling for shit, it's just a nightmare. We might bluefin on Thursday, and we're in the canyon Saturday. So my Friday is lock and load, yeah. fuel, ice, all the canyon prep, and it. Like I said, I had to relax in some of my pet peeves because I might in in the Freeman we have two monster hatches, one on the port, one on the starboard. The starboard had most of like the fishing gear, and the port side had a lot of the rods and reels. And if I'm not going back to the house, I got 14 hours worth of stuff to do in about 10 hours today. So. I have cod rods on the bottom with fluke rigs on the bottom from Thursday and, you know, 50s and 80s to rig up. Yeah. And my circle hook ballyhoos to tie. So I couldn't always have the home I wanted for everything. 
So I, I had to adapt to that. It would drive me nuts, but like the, had to kind of try to shave some of the OCD down a little bit mm-hmm. so it didn't drive you nuts. It worked. I mean, first season around the boat was definitely successful. It was a it was a completely new game to to go to the center console. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. I I can deal with the cold. If you if you dress and layer up enough, other than that first trip yeah. when the Nantucket Shoals were still about 48 degrees. That OBBC day, I learned that I should have listened a little better to all of my son and console friends that said, Dress like it's the Arctic. You are going to need the proper fall weather gear. And from where we come from, fall weather gear is like, oh, I just need a pair of long johns, jeans, and my grundons. Right. And then I'll just have a nice jacket. And no, that means winter gloves, winter hat, and you look like you're going snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a flashback. Galvin and I were on our way down, bringing a boat down. It, dude, it was, I bet you it was 35 degrees. And we were up in the flybridge, and he had the, the curtains on the sides weren't on there and on the back behind us. And, dude, we were taking turns at night, going 12 knots. We were wrapping each other like... <laughs> One of us would get in the helm chair, and then the other one would wrap us around in like four or five layers of one blanket from downstairs just to stay alive. It's horrible. We didn't have warm enough clothes. Yeah. For like, it was like two, it felt felt like forever, but it was honestly probably 10 hours of like being outside in 30 degree weather without the right shit. Our final delivery with the 66, we had a deal on the boat that that fell through. So that cost us a few weeks. So we didn't leave until November 18th, two years ago. And I'll never forget it on the, all the way until Cuddy hunk, we had like Southwest 10 to 15, but in a Viking, that's enough to throw spray in the windshield and we made ice. So everything that hit the windshield froze (laughs) and I had a Florida mate and he looked at me (laughs) after about three or four miles and i said you can go down below until he took a video and then he went down below until the sun came up i've never been so happy to see the sun but i was dressed like i was going to killington and it it still wasn't enough and i have my new balance shoes which have the mesh the dad shoes they're they're off they're not dude they are so comfy no i know but they have they're they're the mesh outside they're breathable which is why i love fishing with them all summer yeah but goddamn, they let every single ounce of 18 i remember it was 18 degrees oh and they let everything in what does og wear sketchers yeah so og has sketchers no laces year round all the november 5th eight foot seas (laughs) 25 out of the northeast sketchers no jacket backing down into the seas and then he'll complain those are dad shoes yeah sketchers but if you're on your feet all day long trolling drifting you're on your feet for 12 14 hours and some comfy shoes new balance especially on the center console too let's keep it keep it rolling all right what else we got for rabbit fires superstitions i am not very superstitious at all bananas on the boat dude you could have my boss and my boss's son We'll tell you to throw them over. I'd rather drag an 800 pounder over and, the side and then, and then take can. a picture with a banana on his face. Yeah, yeah. I'll eat the banana just to prove a point. Right. I don't think, I don't think a fish is or isn't going to bite, or you're going to pull a hook, or you're going to break them off or not break them off, or lay an egg for the day because there's a banana in the boat. It is funny to like bust people's balls, especially charters. Yeah, because they when when OG says throw the effing bananas off the boat, like at the dock to their face. That's like the first thing he'll say. 
their eyes open like the size of this microphone. They're like, what the hell is this dude talking about? <laughs> yeah, Why people who don't know about food it. Over, overboard? <laughs> if there was a real story about it, I'd get it. But yeah, there's a the banana things. myths are about 17. Dude, that yeah. should be one of our yeah. last questions. What's that? Of every podcast, what's the banana myth you've heard? Yeah. Keep going. Okay. What else we got? I'm trying to think of what I've heard now. There's World like famous three Nick Stanza. Go, go, go fire yeah. through his feed. How many bananas and swordfish does he have in he the He has picture? banana clothing now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> banana stickers. Uh, Bob won't let me do it, but at some point, maybe I'll hide them. And then, you know, when time. there's a few big eyes on the, in, the, in the ice and yeah. we're wiring a blue mile, and I'll just go. And when you're docked. Stand shoulder to shoulder <laughs> and eat a banana next to him. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? That's an excellent question. I've been talking about this for years. <laughs> when you when you lay down at night and do your little daydreaming, I always wanted like the Doc Emmett Brown flux capacitor on my boat. Like, you know, all sorts of different superpowers being what they are. Like in Back to the Future, the car and everything in it would go back to the future. I want my boat and everything on it back to the future. Just I don't want to go back to, to the future with linen lines. Right. I want to, you know, travel through time with all the gear on my boat. I want to go to the southwest corner with my Freeman, everything on it, and go back to like 1850, and then stop oh, at the Gurnet. The and how many 90 pound codfish are you going to catch oh, on the dude. way home? You know, codfish, legendary codfish, shit. halibut, swordfish. I want to mm. take a Roth's report or my ocean temps printout and go to oceanographer in 1915 <laughs> and see what the hell is sitting <laughs> on that eight degree break on the <laughs> yeah. edge. But with my boat and all my equipment. Oh, that's such a good call. Tommy Howard actually said the same thing. Not as detailed. Yeah, but you've he, seemed like you thought about this for yeah, like nights on Definitely. End. He just yeah. said time travel. But which is cool, but you how are you how are you getting to oceanographer? Yeah, how right. like you time travel to Penis Bay, Panama before Tropic Star Lodge is there. I want to go to Zangray Reef with eighty stand ups, correct harnesses, twenty out circle hooks and you know? Yeah. See what's that? Lock and load. Yeah. That'd be 500 pound fluorocarbon. <laughs> and bridle Benita's the correct way and put him in my riggers. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm or go to the bank with like 18 hand lines ready to rock and roll and just go have fun for the day. Yeah. In a just nice, in a nice pair of real there. gloves. Be amazing. Dinosaur Imagine hand lines back in the day. Mine was seeing through the water. Yours was flying. Flying. Which is basically like a built in Furuno Omni. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> That's like your sonar pole, right. but in your head. I'm saying yeah. like ultra clear, you can see everything that's going on though. Yeah. But maybe. <laughs> <laughs> now he's like, now he's, he's like, like oh. trying to combine his, his superpowers. This week, the superpowers. <laughs> and our powers combined. Yeah. If I could have one, it's just, yeah, I want, I want to time travel, but if I can also add with my current gear. I like so that. So that's where like the flux capacitor comes in. I like that. <laughs> just, that was a got? great answer. Um, Back to tune is a little bit. Uh, Chatham or Stellwagen? There's another where you started versus where you are now. I like I like Chatham, and the reasons for that are Stellwagen. Traditionally, you're it, it's it's a lot more scientific, which isn't what turns me off to it. But you you're fishing spots a lot on Fortuna, probably the size of your boat. You mm-hmm. might be fishing a tiny mussel bed or here, like the northeast corner, that little that little guzzle that's there. Like if you're not the first boat there, you might as well not fish it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys have your little spots you like to fish and it's pretty precise. That yeah. 
when you drop anchor, if you got, if you're, you have Garmin, mm-hmm. so your Garmin's telling you how far away you are from your waypoint. You know, you're right. like, I'm dropping oh, 18 feet. I could have done better, but whatever, let the yeah. anchor sit. Like, yeah. You want to be exactly where you are. Down in Chatham, it's we're we're drifting. We're fishing in anywhere from 120 to last year, it was lights out in 280 feet. You're not anchor fishing there. But the whales and the life, tunas and bait, everything's moving. So it, it's a it's it's a drift fishery. And and I like it so much more because I like being mobile too. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like not having to throw the ring and the poly ball over if a buddy of yours you know, he's on them or he's fighting a second fish two or three miles away. I like being mobile that way. And the ways we fish a lot, if you don't get a bite and all of that life and the six tunas you just marked, you're looking at them a half mile away. I just want to clear two or three rods and go set back up again. Mm-hmm. And it allows for that. And it's kind of being super fast paced the way I am. My mind's always moving. It is also nice to change the scenery or maybe if, you know, your balloons and your elastics are all measured out for 120 on this and everything just came through at 150, you didn't have time to react maybe because it's a small piece you're fishing or a single pot of whales on the way up the next drift. Now you can, you can reset back out and everything's, you know, where you want to be. You can change your depths. And it's, it's a lot of fun, that fishery. What, what about in comparison to Georgia's? Taylor and I personally have never fished Georgia's. We know you've fished there a lot. Um, similar to Chatham? Do you like it better? Kind of what are the... You're similar on the drift. We don't have the whale life, but when Georgia's is good, you'll mark fish. Essentially, you might have a single or a double. You might mark three or four on this time. But you'll mark consistently when it's good. You can mark consistently for a two-mile drift, yeah, two or three-mile drift. And if your tide is light enough, that could be a 45-minute drift. You know, you'll yeah. go, trust me, you'll go plenty of tides at George's without marking a thing, but you know they'll, they'll be here on the next tide. Or you'll run out there on the backside of a heavy northerly. We used to love to run out there on the backside of a heavy northwest. Um, so you run out in the backside of the shit, but you'll get nice weather for the next two or three days. And usually it would be diminishing returns. The backside of the horrible weather was usually lights out. When it was three fish, you might do two fish today, and then you might have to wait 24 hours for your third fish. Yeah. But the drift fishery there is, they, they were longer drifts generally. You would have some whale life, but nowhere near the whale life you would have east of Chatham. Is it as important to be on the whales? No, it was more important to be in the bait. Yeah. And, you know, the the nipples, the cod spot, that that seemed, if you go back and look at all your saves on George's, you might save your fish. You might have a track line from the last day there. You have like some test drifts if maybe it wasn't, you didn't land right on them. But it seems like a lot of your fish come, we, we call it the nipple. A lot of your fish would come off of that. This kind of sounds like a hybrid spot, you know, fishing tactics wise between Stowagon and Chatham. Like they're a little bit more structure focused on the tide there and not as much moving around migratory kind of moving with the life in Chatham. And you'd get them sometimes they sometimes they'd be stuffed up into the shoal water up on like 150. We'd see it a lot like 230 on the deep end and you'd start in about 165 depending on how 
how fast your drift was. But it seemed like a lot of those fish as well would just run that edge. You would have some days you'd be you'd be stuffed right on the line and you knew there was fish. If you could go five, six miles beyond the line, right. beyond the Hague line, it's lights out over there. You can't. Yeah. So sometimes we'd be all stacked up on the on the edge. It seemed like they were just rolling that east-west edge, and they'd come in on certain tides. They know where the codfish are. You could always make herring and mackerel there easily. Um, but yeah, George's was a lot of fun. And then when it first started, and it was the Wild West, it was you know that shovel you guys have at the front door. You'd see them come through. You'd just take a pile full of whole herrings. We weren't, we weren't cutting chum. We were just bombing them. Yeah. They'd roll through and you'd bomb them, you'd fan it out. You know, they'd go from 20 feet in the air and just all hit the surface and come right up. You know, one fish turned into eight and then you just start feeding them. Sick. I love that shit. You'd have a cod down at 120. <laughs> you'd have a, you might even have a bait on a balloon, but you always had one in your hand. You were just feeding. Yeah. You just work it all day long. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, that's it for rapid fire kind of take a step back and that was a quick one i know and go I was ready for more well it was quick but that was actually 30 minutes believe it or not um so how did your fishing career begin you obviously have a lot of experience you fished a lot of different fisheries different boats kind of the reader's digest version of young miles to miles today to to boil it down i mean you ask everybody this question they probably have an hour-long answer but to boil it down i started my uncle and my father ruined my life, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> he had, like everybody else did starting out, he had a 31JC in Green Harbor. And that's the first boat I started going on when I was probably five or six years old. Um, my father and him went to high school together. They married, you know, they married the sisters. So they, they've been friends their, their entire adult life. So we'd go down to Green Harbor, and he was always into tuna fishing. Never did it really for money, just did it for the, for the love of it. And the wonderful thing was, if my father couldn't go or he had to work Saturday, he would wake me up and bring me out into the driveway at 3 o'clock in the morning and sit with me. And I'd remember vividly seeing those F-150 lights from my uncle roll down the street. He'd pick me up and take me fishing. So awesome. even if my father couldn't go, he'd make sure that I got on that boat. That's awesome. And it started out with, you know, they're not going to let me cut yet, but... Here's, here's a five-gallon bucket of chum. Throw three pieces. When they disappear, throw three more. Yeah. And that's like... It's funny. Everyone's taught that exact thing I think, yeah. when they yeah. first start chumming. And then when they... And then you graduate to... Okay, here's how you put lay the tail rope next to me. Bring the harpoon and the basket over. And then, you know, one day it was like, what, what did you just say to me? Like, you need the tail rope? No, get on the rod. It's like, all right. Yeah, and you've watched it a hundred times, but as like an eight year old, you just watch that that rods bouncing up and down. I probably drove them crazy. <laughs> the heart attacks I gave them. When you put a kid on the rod, that thing's bouncing. I don't know. Though that rod probably straightened a dozen times, but yeah, you know, we were probably fishing a grouper hook or something. Yeah, it didn't matter. We, we caught them. But um, yeah. So I always fished with him as much as I possibly could. Probably kept me out of a lot of trouble growing up. You know, you you can either go out Friday night or you can. Fish. Go to bed early because someone's yep. going to be here at 3 o'clock to pick us. you up. I would have yeah. been a disaster if I didn't fish. Yeah. Right. I firmly believe that. So then he, he graduated through boats. He had a 38 Holland, which is now the Big Fish 3. He had a 38 Young Brothers. So we had a boat in Hyannis to fish Chatham. We had a um, 38 Holland to fish Green Harbor. So 
wherever it was, that's where we'd go fish. And then in high school, you know, you got to make a little money. So I worked on a gill netter out of Situate. So I spent a lot of time with Situate docks. I ran a bait truck there selling to all the lobstermen. Hmm. And yeah, we gill netted dogfish for, I think it was 17 to 25 cents a pound. If but I you, was going to choose like one thing to never want to do in my whole life, it'd be gill netting dogfish <laughs> or just dealing with dogfish. And it was easy money. You just set on red. You just there's red. Just put yeah. the nets out and you just go back and start picking at the, at the, the first end you set. The spines. <laughs> the money though. But when you're 16, 17 years old, you just got a car and you're making 200 oh, bucks yeah. a day. Yeah. It's great. It's yeah. awesome. Um, so then it was just, and once in a while we'd fish the canyon. We'd, we'd take the five ladies after we fished the canyon in that boat after he got the big one. So, you know, you go to Wood End nowadays when the, one of the days I was there this year and the median boat there is 400 grand. You know, you got mm-hmm. 40 to 50 footers all over the place. But Uncle Billy was one of the pioneers. The three graces showed up the year before he did. That had a pulpit on it. Mm-hmm. The five ladies showed up in 2000. A 50 West Mac with a wide open cockpit, nice and comfy down below, and a 26 foot pulpit, which we had to we had to haul that pulpit up coming in the inlet because you couldn't spin the boat in Green Harbor with that pulpit down <laughs> 76 feet long. Um, so that was like the game changer. So we would fish the canyon on that, which I always tell my boss's son. We laugh about it. You know, you're going out there with 80s and 130s, and there's a blue marlin on the left long. We'll just reel it away from him. Yeah. We don't want him. We just cranked that thing away from the blue model as fast as we could until he went away. And we put it back out. <laughs> <laughs> so the West Mac was awesome. It, I was so spoiled and I have a great relationship with my uncle. So he's the man. It was just, you know, take the keys. I can't, I'm, I'm working. I can't fish Saturday. So mm-hmm. I'm 18 years old at, Peak at Hill, flying bluefish on the kite with a 50 in West the Mac. best boat ever. And the most amazing boat ever. Right. You know? Um, so that's where that started. And we took it to North Carolina. And this is how I kind of transitioned to the private industry. After I got out of college, you know, I can't do an office. You start to realize that. You kind of knew it the whole time, but now you're realizing you can't, you can't do the office thing. So I'm in... North Carolina with the five ladies. I'm next to Brett. I'm next to Plansky, Spurge, TJ, Polly mm-hmm. Stern. It was, just, it was just the, you know, kind of the, the good old boys club plus this 20-year-old with a 50 West Mac. <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's blowing 30 tomorrow, and we can't – we're not going out. If it was blowing 20 to 25, you kind of behave. But if you knew it was going to blow 30, you could kind of have a little fun. So we plugged the scuppers and we had this huge thing we called the ice cream chest. You could fit about three giants in it and it had a little tunnel to go down below where you would just store spare poly balls or an anchor or whatever. So we'd set up beer pong on it. So we're sitting there playing beer pong, having a good old time (laughs) and Robbie Goodman walks down the dock and he's like, hey, we don't really know each other. And Robbie, I'm like, I know who you are. You know, you kind of, you kind of do what I want to do someday. And so play a bunch of beer pong, eat some blackfin on the grill. And a few days later, he calls me up with, hey, you had mentioned you wanted to get into this line of work. I got a job for the year. Oh, no, thanks. You know, that doesn't really sound what I'm looking for, but keep asking. And then he's like, hey, friend of mine, Ron, on the ET, which everybody who fished kind of knew the ET. They were mopping up all the canyon tournaments. They had a nice big merit boat. And he's looking for a mate. Like, 
game on. I want his number. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, that was in 2006. How, what so was that hologram? Was that 80? That was an 80 merit. 80 merit. Tiny boat. Yeah, but it's small. The, it's the funny way of, some people ask, how'd you get into the private industry? Well, it all, all started with a game of beer pong, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the it's way funny how things work. It's all you know. Right? Yeah. That's awesome. What did you, uh, what have you liked more? Like now, now that you're, you know, a couple programs deep since ET, what, what have you enjoyed more? The kind of commercial doing your own thing on the down East boat or. Well, in the, the, in sport, the beginning, it was pretty cool boats. to see, like, I get to go on this awesome boat. I get to go fishing 10 miles from the dock and then we catch this monster. When you're a kid, you catch this monster fish, you bring it into the dock and you put it up the, into this big white truck and a check shows up in the mail a couple of weeks later. Like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then as you go older, you realize that's a lot of fun, but unless there's other things to do with it or to add to it, you can't really make a go of it on a 12 year basis. Right. Yeah. So, um, with the private market, the, the stability is there. Yes. Number one, but number two, all the different places you get to go. Yeah. You know, you're in the Bahamas in the spring. You're, you're going to the Dominican Republic in, in the wintertime. You're catching blue marlin. You have a big, comfortable boat. It's fast. You can make 300 miles a day when you're going somewhere. Um, and, and the things that you can do and the things you can buy, and the, you can always have the best of what you need. Mm. What's the best reel for bill fishing circle hooks? We have eight of them. You know, it's... The, the beauty of that market is the the travel, the different species. Growing up here, there's X amount of things we can do. Right. Um, and in certain times of the year, with the traveling boats, if your boss is flexible, you can propose anything you want to them. And worst cases, they say no. Sometimes they say yes, and you're in you know, some country a thousand miles from home catching awesome stuff in the middle of the winter. So the the private industry sport boats, it's... It's a certain lifestyle, and yeah, I, w- I would prefer that 100%. What was the, <clears throat> I know you could probably go forever on this, but what was the learning curve like for you? You know, like we talked to Galvin a little bit about this too, and, you know, not to not the, to hype the Northeast fishery too, too much because there's many fantastic fisheries across the globe, but do you think the multi-species canyon fishing, the logistics that we have to deal with up here helped shorten that learning curve for you in traveling around in the merit and when you got into sport fishing or do you, did you still have a lot to dial in when you made that switch? I, I give a lot of credit to my first captain on the ET, Ron. I, if there was one regret I have from over the course of my career, it's I didn't have enough time as a mate. I would have loved to have done a lot of different things without such a big gun to my head. I took the job on the ET as a mate and through certain dynamics, two and a half years later, Ron moved on and there's some funny stories that surround it, but I, I ended up getting the wheel. Yeah. So I went from commercial fishing, reeling Ballyhoo away from Blue Marlin to running a 80 foot Merit in two and a half years. So there's a, a lot of people who, who are lighting the world on fire in different countries all over the place, they spent 10, 12 years as a mate, yeah. freelancing, going all over the place. You have mates nowadays who have spent two seasons in Costa Rica, a season on the Great Barrier Reef, 
three seasons in the Northeast before they even think about becoming captains. Yeah. I had two and a half years on a traveling program to learn on the fly and figure out how to drive this thing and take care of it. And I give all the credit in the world to Ron because he, he transformed me into someone who can at least do enough of it to fake it until you make it the first few years, (laughs) you know, because that, um, that, that, that was difficult. I wish I had more time as a mate, but the, the fishing that we did, I, I knew enough to, to get started and catch things, catch things in a few different countries. We, I filled a passport by the time I was 30, and half of that was probably with Ron. So in two and a half years, we went everywhere. It was so great. Awesome. So at least I had enough of a foundation that I could build off of it and then lean on my network, plus figure things out for myself to, to be able to make it fly. But up here in the Northeast, we have an amazing fishery. If you look at the geographics of Cape Cod, it, it's pretty special. It, it's one of the furthest east points of the United, east coast of the United States, other than like some down east Maine. But we have deep water to the south. We have deep water to the east. We have shoal water before the islands, and it basically drops right off to the east. And then we have a continental shelf, you know, 80 to 100 miles away. So all of the different changing of the seasons, the migratory patterns, you know, you got all here. squid blowing through in May. You have right behind them sea bass, stripers, bluefish. You know, the, the squid starts to roll off south of the islands. You have tunas showing up. You got tunas in the canyons that roll in for the early summer. Just if you look at like a 12-month basis of what goes on around Cape Cod, it's like this incredible ecosystem that's not really matched Mm-hmm. anywhere else and then the gulf stream in the summer what that brings it's only a few places in the world that probably on an overnight canyon trip you got a legit shot at seven different species yeah all big game monster fish it's amazing yeah. you can go to saint thomas in the summertime you can catch some wahoos in shore and then you got like mahis and blue marlins you can go to bermuda in the summertime you have wahoo yellowfin blue marlin but where on else where else on earth do you have blue marlin, yellowfin, white marlin, big eye, bluefin. albacore, a giant bluefin tuna, you know, mahi mahis, wahoos, all in the same swordfish. all in the same area. Swordfish. Yeah. It's Just it's amazing. Going. And then the bottom fish on top of it. Yeah. So and we could do in five straight days, I could take you giant fluke fishing i could take you bluefin tuna fishing we could fill the boat with stripers or sea bass we could go to the canyon it's, it's pretty amazing what what we can do in our ecosystem i think that helps prepare you for for elsewhere i've seen a lot of northern mates translate into great traveling sport boat captains or to be an asset as a mate to any program they're with because mm-hmm. i think it's funny you don't i mean you don't see that many people from down south coming up here for major work in the summer. I'm at least I don't see it. Maybe you could speak differently, but I mean, there's some boats, especially down like the Vineyard and Nantucket and Falmouth and stuff that definitely travel up. But like, how they many usually of, try to leave before it gets cold. How, yeah. yeah. How, many, <laughs> how many of those boats have mates from Southern Florida or wherever? Mm. Right. You know, it's mostly guys from either like mid coast or. Northeast. And when the Florida people come up, especially I had one a few years ago that came up for the first time and it's like, 
you go from some Bahama stuff, South Florida fit, sail fishing, mahis, kingfish, and then you come up here and it's like, oh my God, I've never cut so many fish. Right. I've never seen such species and I've definitely never caught anything that big. Yeah. <laughs> you know? You've mentioned cutting a couple of times, not to get not to get too sidetracked, but I think that is one of the most undervalued skills in becoming a really, really good mate is being able to cut Boy, fast and cut a lot, you know, especially up here. I mean, OG won't, OG will not have you on the boat if you cannot cut fish, yeah. you know? And it's hard. You, you always want to teach somebody how to cut or the correct way to do it, right. but it's a lot faster if you just go wash that and let me cut. Because yep. I can have these done in about an hour. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. So sometimes, it, it, and I try to be better with that with certain people. Um, I know Manny is really, really wanting to cut, and he's starting to cut some stuff offshore. Yeah. Um, and, and kind of practice on them. And sometimes it's hard, you know, if you got, you know, you only have two mahi, you want them. Or you, you, you want to get every ounce of both of them. Oh, yeah, yeah, you want to get every ounce <laughs> yeah. of meat off of them. Right. Or you get a deck full of yellow fins yeah. in it's big eye time. It's like we need to get these things in right. the box. Right. Like for <laughs> us, know? like we're you know we're catching haddock and a lot of times mud hake and stuff. Like last year we had white shadow. I'd fill up. I don't even want to say how many because I don't even know how many you're allowed to kill. <laughs> but like he was this mud hake city all the way home. Yeah, you know, in the last he he do ten haddock and X. X, X amount of mud ache. Yeah. Maybe that's a good superpower to have too, right. is I want to be able to hold haddock without having them ever slip out of the house. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> uh, oh, it's nasty. You got him. But yeah, like just training, training him. He's been doing fairly well. He has, a, you know, I feel like we're kind of fishing as a family. We're sometimes a little tough on people coming in to yeah. work with us and, Man, he's, you have to be though. You have to be, but he's been awesome. Like and I love cutting fish. Yeah, it's probably another pet peeve of mine is I have my knife roll with I, I like flits and polish my knives every handful of times they're used because <laughs> I hate I hate seeing like a rusty or a spotted knife or one that's not sharp. Yeah, and then you look for the sharpener and it sucks. Like I, yeah. I want to cut fish that way. I want to cut them. I want to <laughs> cut them when they're popsicles and they're slushed and certain right. ways of doing things. Um. Back to traveling, you know, aside from the Northeast and stuff, what, what do you think was your favorite spot you got to fish for a, a good amount of time on the Merit? Oh, Panama. Panama is, it's a wonderful place. Still haven't fished there. No, I haven't either. I want to go. It's, if you go to a place like Tropic Star, it's, it's pretty cool where there's, you know, you're, la- you're still landing on a dirt runway. You know, they, wow. they're, they're keeping it, they're keeping it, as primitive as possible and also offering, you know, some of the best fishing in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the Tropic Star boats, I'll leave the dock at like 730 and they're all, those like 15, 31 foot Bertram. So it literally sounds like you're at Loudon, like Loudon Speedway when they all come out and start Bonita fishing. But if you can leave earlier than them, which is no reason you can't, you can do all of your Bonitas, have them in the tubes and have your tubes full and then have three of them in the riggers by the time those boats around the corner. And we probably had two out of five days we fished. We had a black on and jumping before the Bertrams even showed up to make bait. Wow. Which and, is important. And a lot of times where you're making bait, that's where that big bill is showing up. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then you'd save a few and you'd roll offshore. And we had days where we chased 10 miles worth of yellow fins. And, uh, we'd make 
on the anchorage at night, we'd make like a pile of pinfish, just sabiki rig, whatever off the bottom. And then you'd also have a well full of goggle eyes you bought. And then you'd also have, you know, three or four bonitas you'd save. And you'd stop in front of the elephants and the spinner dolphins. You'd throw some pinfish. That one's 50, 60 pounds that just jumped. Keep going. And you'd keep going, keep going, keep going until, hey, there's a hundred pounder. It looked like 150. That one had Allison's on it. You'd stop in front of them. You put a couple of goggle eyes out on a 50. And then that bonita goes down on the 80. That's sad. So we caught two for three black marlin this morning. And I'm dragging a, you know, 180 pound yellowfin through the deck, through the box. It's, um, that's it's awesome. a special fishery, and you're doing it in the backdrop of National Geographic, every single shade of green that exists. You know, I have pictures of leadering, jumping black marlin with mountains in the background. It, it's such a special place, and you got to take about two or three planes to get there, and it's just there's nothing else to do. Hmm. You can make a sat phone like call, paradise. but it's, it's amazing. And when we were there, there's, there was, you know... You're not even thinking about internet. You go in for the the barbecue. You know the boss might stay in one of the houses, but you're on anchor. Mm-hmm. So I think I think our generator and live wells ran for oh, over 30 straight days. We were growing coral in the live wells that we had the goggles <laughs> in. You're starting to like yeah, just scrape it off. That's um, crazy. It is. But yeah, what what an amazing place that was. And you're fishing them. You're fishing the bonitas and the riggers with number 64 bands that are stretching and sometimes you'd see the black marlin and then he'd sound and and bang you're on but it, it's a special place and the the black marlins just do things that blue marlins in my opinion can't do so that, that was another fun it seems like they those. jump way more especially at the boat well the blue marlin i've noticed the the ones we've caught in the bahamas and in the northeast a lot it seems like they need to get a little bit of headway going before they can get out of the water with a black marlin, you'd have them on the leader, and you 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 look at the guy in the chair and say, "You ready?" And then you'd lean on him. You'd take a you know you double wrap him with both hands, and you'd lean hard, and he would just come at a forty five degree angle. You'd see the bill, the the eyes, the shoulders, and he would just kick his tail, and he would just completely leap out of the water. And so I just sick. don't think blue marlin can do that. Yeah, huh. you know, some people I'm sure have in- instances that prove me wrong, but. I've never seen a blue marlin go from just like, like a slow. being walked like a dog on the leader to oh I'm up I'm out of the water. Yeah, huh? Most of my I mean I haven't I maybe caught a handful of them or at least hooked a handful maybe a dozen in the canyon. It seems like they jump their energy out like you said like crazy speed right off the bite jump 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 and then it's kind of like a you're either getting a tuna. Uh, Tuna, tuna fight, fight out of it with no pinwheels or he's just kind of like swimming along and if you get it the ones i've got jumps out of on the leader it's like half body like half body and a turn in his head and then getting him up beside the boat and some you of know? those blacks that you if you get the picture at the right time it looks like you're flying a kite mm. it, it's it's special and it's such a loaded question because yeah on a southeast wind southeast wind you could run 135 miles to chubb in the bahamas chubb k and you know, catch four or five different species. The DR right now is amazing. The fishing is awesome. They're doing five or six fish a day. Yeah. But those blue marlin can be from 50 to 250 pounds. And it's rough down there. But for, you know, if I could close my eyes and transport somewhere for a week, I would go fish Panama again. That's sick. How so, many times have you fished there? Uh, we brought a boat there twice. Cool. So you, 
you also add to it the experience of going through the canal. And before you right. get to the canal, there's Canal's a seamount 25 miles west too. of it. So yeah. you, you stop at that seamount on your way to the canal. You fish your way on the way home. You fish from the canal to the Cayman Islands. You know, we, we fished when we went there the second time. We left the DR and went to the canal. That was a 700-mile wow. leg. And, of course, what else you to do? It's, we got the northeast Christmas winds. So we ten knotted down sea with hardheads the whole way. I forget how many boom island we caught, but yeah, that's that's on the way to going somewhere cool to fish. That's sick. You know? That is sick. That's cool. The spring 2021 fishing season here in the Northeast is about to get going. And if you guys are craving more content and want to have a more one-on-one experience with uh, with the crew here at Seabros Fishing, we have now started a Patreon page. Uh, for just 20 bucks a month, you'll get access to weekly live workshops and Q&As with Taylor, myself, and some special guests that we've had previously on the podcast. We're really excited about this new venture. We think it's going to be a, a great way to interact with the listeners. If you are interested in becoming a member, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Fishing. Again, the, our membership is, is 20 bucks a month. You'll get uh, weekly access to Q&A sessions, live Q&A sessions, and we're also going to be publishing monthly uh, seminar-type videos, uh, tactical videos as we move uh, further and further into the season. What's also cool about this is once we get rolling with the charter season, we're going to be able to film these Q&As live on the boat so it'll add a whole different dynamic to this um to this whole program the whole podcast endeavor that we've that we've been going at for the last year here now so uh, make sure you check out our patreon page and um, sign up if you're interested so 80 merit et when did Macbeth come into play that came into play so my boss on the ET, he was like the bionic man. He had, you know, heart stents, new shoulders, however many pins in the wrist. Like he, he was half metal towards the end of it. And then one day he, he had a heart attack. So I got a phone call at like four o'clock in the morning. Like, hey, it didn't wake up. Like, Shit. Ugh. So, but the last three days of his life, he did his favorite things. You know, he, I think we tuna fished on a Sunday caught one he like golfed on a monday and never saw tuesday so you, you do your favorite things in your final days that's yeah you know we, you can't really can't be sad about that um but yeah so then well what do you do now and I, i've never been one to hop around um like just to backtrack the week the week between ron leaving the program and me taking over it was Hey, you know, Ron's not a part of it anymore. But another thing to that man's credit, the same conversation he was told, we're not going to, you know, keep going here. Well, I think Miles should run the boat. So you're out, but let me tell you who I think should run the boat. So another big kudos to him. But you're an ocean reef and there's people bringing down their resumes like, Hey, I heard about what happened here. Here's a resume. Probably got about half a dozen of those. Mm -hmm. And I read every single one of them, probably most of them more qualified than me, but every single one of them went in the trash. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not one of those resumes saw the person who would be making the hire. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that that transition was the the day that he came and said, "Hey, I, I want to give you a shot to run the boat." I called a friend of mine, Jeff Amarillo, who was also down in Ocean Reef. I said, "Hey, uh, my first day." we got to go to Miami beach and take the boss for meetings. So the first day ever really running that boat by myself was Miami beach Marina and talk to John Galvin. The current explodes through that place. And yeah, of course they want me all the way down that aisle back then. Oh man. So that was, that was wonderful. <laughs> but yeah, more, more kind of fake it till you make it kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that went the way it did and kind of the rest was history on that. Gotcha. Um, so Pescaria, fast forward, tell us about that program. How did that evolve? How did you meet Bob and Manny and... Well, so I guess I didn't answer your previous question, uh, which will lead into that one. Yeah, it's fine. The, after, after the, my boss passed away, I, I don't like leaping around, but I just, all right, I'm unemployed. I got to take a job. Mm-hmm. So I took a job on a boat that lasted about three months. It just, it was for many reasons, not the right fit. And then... A friend of mine has a charter business in Hyannis that does about 250 trips a year. And he was giving away probably 150. So he was like, you know, I, w- I want to try to do a second boat. So I did the second boat with him for a few years. And it was about 150 trips a year. Everything from squid, sea bass, striper, giant tunas, cod, you know, the, the whole season. And then I'd hop on the five ladies in the fall. Mm-hmm. You know, we go to Georgia's. Yeah. So you you do the whole charter season, then you go to Georgia's and do thirty fish. Um, That's good money. One hundred and fifty charters a year, then going to Georgia's, especially like when you were running that boat. It, it was fun. Georgia's. It's awesome. It's a nice little season. Yeah. Yeah, and then if my uncle could go, you just he'd hop on, but fish that boat as hard as you want, and call me on the way in. Mm-hmm. And if I can go, I'll go. And if I can't, it's not stopping you guys. Turn and burn. And then. I knew I knew somebody through Hyannis whose father wanted to get a bigger boat. And we had always kind of kept in touch. And he said, we bought a 42 Viking for fun. Can you start fishing with us a little bit? So I take him bass fishing, blue fishing, all went well. So we decided we'd like to hire you and we want to build a Viking. And we decided on 66, built that Viking. After a few years, started developing seasickness, and we'd go out on beautiful days, fish the dump, and it just wasn't working. So I, I, I think I'm going to have to sell the boat. Okay. And right about that time was when Bob was transitioning between his captain. Yeah. So I literally, in the course of about three weeks, moved from one 66 Viking to another 66 Viking. And I kept it in the same slip for a couple of years. That's cool. So it was like a, a completely smooth transition. I knew 90% of Pescaria before I even got on it. Cause the boats were about seven models apart mm-hmm. and Viking does a lot of things very similar throughout their boats. So you already know everything about the boat. So literally all I had to do was get on it and organize it the way I wanted to. Yeah. Um, and I had known them just a little bit through some mutual friends, but I didn't know Manny's the way he is. I didn't know Bob is the way he is. Bob is super easy. He goes with the flow. 
if he wants to do something in a certain way, he'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Like the, one of the best things he does for me is in the morning, we've caught enough yellowfin. That's it. You know, he just, he presses the pause button. Let's start switching over. Super transparent guy. Because I'll stay on him. Like that brings me back to the old five ladies days. We're like, I'm going to continue to catch yeah. these things until they stop biting. <laughs> <laughs> like, Miles, we can't fit any more yellowfin. Let's, let's start, you know, even if you don't want to take everything out of the water, like, you know, the dredges are already in the water. Let's just put the bridge teasers out and swap out the shorts. Yeah. And then you'll slowly make your way to circle hooks. Um, but, but Manny's special. You know, Bob's an excellent guy. Manny's the catalyst for the whole operation. You know, I'm, he's got the bug bad. He he has it bad, and he and he wants to learn. I've had jobs where the boss's kids don't want to tie ballyhoo. Manny wants to tie ballyhoo. Mm-hmm. Manny wants to gaff fish. He'll reel in a fish, and then he'll hand the rod to Brian, and then gaff it. Yeah. Like he just he, awesome. he wants the full experience. And like we said before, you could put him on the bow on a two hundred pound big eye. Forget about him. Mm-hmm. He reels in giants. I threw I threw his ass on the harness when he was thirteen on like an eighty five inch fish, <laughs> <laughs> because we were fishing we we're, were planer fishing and it was so good. And the first two fish were like eighty five inches. You know, there's probably not a hundred inch fish in there. Hopefully not. So <laughs> let's let's throw that bent butt eighty on the on the planer rod yeah, and yeah. then sure shit it goes off. And he, he does great. He understands drag pressure. I can ask him because we label everything. Manny, what do you have on that fish? And he can say 24. All right, go up to 28. And I can know he's going to 28. He's not going to go to 35. He's not going to do something stupid. He's not going to backlash a reel. Um, so he's amazing. You know, the, the, the boss probably, no, I mean, he's still 15 years old, but he probably he, knows he's not going to be running the company someday. He's <laughs> yeah. going to be. Oh, he'll be fishing forever. He'll be fishing. But he, he, makes, he makes the world go around when it comes to fishing. And it's nice that he still has summer vacations with school and he's kind of just beneath that. I got to start going to work age because you can start doing Monday to Thursday. You can sprinkle fish in there and then you're you're ready for the weekend for when the boss wants to go. Must be cool too, like seeing someone so young, like they get to experience new things. You know, it's not like bringing out someone that's, that's already done it, already been around the world and you're working for somebody like that. To have someone that young that's, you know, experiencing the first season of just meleeing giant tuna and then, you know, the first season of catching a bunch of blue marlin and the tournament placings and just mm-hmm. must be cool to see because you've already experienced that. And, and another fun thing is they, they always had Florida captains. So they had the Florida guys coming up here, relying on people they knew up here for the who's, the what's, the when's, the where's, right. the how's. And when they hired me, they, they hired a Cape Cod guy. So they went from, you know, we still troll some, but they went from trolling all the time to like Manny's now in love with downrod bites. I mean, who isn't once you, once you see them, <laughs> right, you yeah. know? So he, if you ask him what he'd like to do now, he wants to go bait fishing. Yeah. And then some, now it's gotten to the point when, if we troll, he's like, well, why are we trolling? And then I'll have to explain why we're trolling. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's fortunate. He's getting, he's getting to see a lot of the world and do a lot of different fisheries, but to to open his eyes to what really can happen in his backyard you know instead of going tuna fishing for the day and that's kind of coming home to the dock you know they they now add a few hours of cod fishing or we can stop and fluke fish on the way in things Mm -hmm. they never knew about right so they're they're thoroughly enjoying the the season up here i think even more than ever and manny's hands-on with it now you know he'll He's prepping value. He's tying this stuff. He's cool. he's cutting squid. He's 
tying dropper loop rigs and he's spooling rods. So as he gets older, I kind of give him a little more autonomy and, you know, I can treat him like a mate. Yeah. And his father would, would never care. He right. has that, you uh, have to, really. <clears throat> he has that thinking two steps ahead sort of characteristic now too. I mean, to your point, you started telling the story a little bit, um, you know, the beginning of this, but watching him like pitch billfish and stuff that like, honestly, we don't or didn't see at the time, um, you know, teasing fish, all kinds of stuff like that. Like he get he gets that sort of, all right, I recognize this pattern. This is probably what's going to happen next. And I need to be ready for that right. at 14, 15 years old. I know I didn't really have that. No. I didn't really start getting that till I was, you know, 18, 19, 20 into my, into my early twenties. You know, so that's uh, that's cool to see. And you watch a fourteen-year-old with a gaff in his hand, understanding that that elephant's too deep. He's in his circles. I'm not going to get him on the next one, but probably in two or three circles, I can put a gaff in his face. Mm-hmm. Right. He's not going to gaff him in the tail or gaff him in the belly. He's going to wait for the gaff in the face. Yeah. And he's thrown the harpoon. He's asked me a few times, like, "Hey, on this on this fish, can I throw the harpoon?" Absolutely. The first blue marlin we catch, if it's 300 or less because i'm not going to put you in ever in a position that i want to put my own son in or a position to fail or a position to get hurt right the next blue marlin we see that's 300 or less it's yours and i'll back you up i'll be right there sure enough like there's the blue marlin on the left long and he looked at me and i said yep he had the rod in his hand and he <laughs> oh looked boy. at me and i said you better better hand that rod off and it was like you know coach you put me in like, <laughs> yeah. like when i got yeah. the look to reel in my first giant bluefin tuna years ago right. like Really? Yeah. All right. So it's it, it's fun to watch him come along. I mean, God, it's not, it's, at some point he'll be better than us. Yeah, <laughs> you know, he'll, for sure. It's, it won't be long. But um, yeah, he's into it. So when you see someone like that, and it's not just some spoiled little kid that all he wants to do is reel it in. When when you watch some kid who wants to be a part of it from the beginning, he wants to go fuel the boat with you. He wants to lug ice down the dock all the way to, you know bringing cores up the dock into the truck or packing the cooler to go to the office. Like mm-hmm. he wants to be part of it from A to Z and, and that's what makes it enjoyable. Mm-hmm. I know he's a great kid. Um, so 66 Viking Pescaria, how, how many years do you fish at one year or two years? We fished that two years and now it's the rocket ship rocket ship. Yeah. Then we bird killer. We oh, didn't probably. have a boat, <laughs> the Shearwater Slayer. Well, we didn't have a boat, Last year, we walked after that 72 survey in March. Here it is, May. And we have, like, they had this 32 Pursuit they bought a handful of years ago when they blew up the big mo- the motors on the big boat. Like, we need something to do for, for six weeks. Mm-hmm. So we had that. Like, we did a few sea bass trips on it. And the boss said, well, why don't you guys find like a big center console, something we can still do what we want to do while we look for a big boat. And Manny said, well, what do you think? Like, well, you might as well shoot for the stars. The worst case, we, we go down to option 1A. You know, <laughs> How about a 42 Freeman? Sure, let's go to the factory. Really? All right. And then sure enough, we pounded the pavement and we, we found a beauty cherry boat. And we, uh, yeah, we brought it home and I think we did like two or three bass trips to Monomoy and then that was it. We just loaded the boat and went like hell what did you have to did you have to do anything to that boat once you got it as far as getting it ready for the fishing that you're doing 
it came, I swapped out a few rod holders for swivel rod holders mm-hmm. and re restrung the regulars to, to what I it. wanted. And yeah, just learn more about the Simrad. Wow. Cause that was always a Garmin guy. Right. And yeah, go to town. And then we put 490 hours on it from July 1st until we hauled it. So That's it was, awesome. yeah, we, we fished it pretty good. How's, um, how's, I mean, you've talked a little bit about the tweaking your system as far as organizing the boat and storing things on the boat. I mean, it's a center console at the end of the day, but I guess specifically, how has the speed changed the way you fish for better or for Why don't you back worse? up and explain how fast it goes and yeah. all that happy stuff? Well, when, when you first get it, like you watch the videos, you know how fast they can go. And when you first start, and this was my first, we had like regulators as like the small boat to some of my former operations. But this was the first boat that, you know, it, it, it can change everything. You, you look at the speed and you start out like 45. Oh, this is a, these things like to cruise at 50. So we'll just do 50. And then 50 is not enough. And it's a nice day and you're out east and... It becomes 55. So 55's turned into like 62 to 65. And, you know, 74, 75 if you need it. Um, so <laughs> what, what happens there is your, your nighttime running doesn't change all that much. And I would call this, the old me would kind of call this extremely irresponsible. But now with, it's got a flare and a 50-inch rigid light bar on it. So that light bar, if there's nobody in front of you, is going to light up everything for a half a mile. Mm-hmm. And that's including a small little lobster buoy laying on its side that you would hit every time without the light bar. During on. the day, most likely. Right. <laughs> yeah. I so, always tell people, you usually got to hit something during the day than you are at night. Mm-hmm. At night, you're like ready to go. You're looking at everything. You're all alert. But in the day, you're shooting the shit. Yeah. You know? I mean, that, the point. boat, it's got three pieces on it. It's got the radar, it's got the flare, and it's got the light bar. So now we've essentially like that 30, that 30 on the way out. If it's nice enough out, it's all weather dependent, but if it's nice enough out and you can use all three of those pieces of technology the correct way, now 30's turned into 40, which, yeah, years ago, I would have you're an idiot. That's irresponsible and that's unsafe. Right. But, and it sounds that way until you come with me on a nice morning, it's flat calm, we're heading out east or heading to the canyon, and you literally can see everything. And so the morning now, we still leave at the same time. We just get out there a little earlier. We have more time to make bait, or we have more time to figure it out, or more time to find what we want to fish on. But for the canyon, that also changes the game, because that if you can do 40 in the dark, you're 10, 12, 15 miles further for when the sun comes up. Because mm-hmm. when the sun comes up, if it's nice enough, it's rock on. Um but it's also, so it's getting us to and from a lot faster. It's turning overnight trips into day trips in the canyon. We're getting to the southeast corner of Oceanographer in two and a half hours. Like fishing for when you pull the boat out of the slip till you got a seven rod spread in the water in about two and a half hours. Which to the listeners is roughly 130 miles. <laughs> it's, it's essentially you're driving a car. If it's nice enough and the weather allows you to do it, you're driving a car to the canyons. For the same speed that you're going to drive to Boston or you're going to drive down to Hyannis. That's how fast you're going to the canyon. And it allows us to fish later. So we'll fish, we'll fish the, let's throw out the Regal Sword. We'll fish the Regal Sword, which is about 44 miles. We'll fish that until an hour before dark. And we'll still 
get home before the sun sets. <laughs> but that's insane. And that that's on a nice day. And in that the beauty of that boat with the cat hull design, I have force fed water ballast tanks in the bow. So that southwest fifteen to twenty five, we seem to get about three days a week. I'm still doing forty, forty five through it. And you're still pretty comfortable. Like everyone's not it's not a monohull center console where everyone's holding on and they feel like they're five feet tall when they get home. You know, Brian can attest to it. You sit in the seat and you're pretty, you still have to hold on, but you're still pretty comfortable and you're not trying to actively trying to stay in the boat. You just, you know, you got one hand holding on, you can still, you know, have a drink on the way home or have something to eat, but you have to stop to pee. Yeah. That's, that's the biggest that thing. Way. You can't really walk around going that fast. Yeah. No, nope, You got to stop every hour on the way home from the canyon to pee. Um, it also makes it to where technology nowadays is allowing you to talk to boats two, three, four canyons away, whether it's on an in-reach or you have a nice powerful antenna and you're talking to them on the ICOM. Brian and I had a morning this year where, you know, sometimes the big guys aren't up very long. Sometimes they're up for 10 minutes. Sometimes they're up for an hour. You never know. We had the albacore up for, I mean, yes, they're an albacore, but they were points nobody else was getting and we only had them up for 15 minutes but you know galvin's got the eyeballs up six miles away so normally all the time before that boat was well let's troll there we'll be right. there and you're doing the math in your head and an six and a half whatever. knots i'll be there in an hour yeah well i was not going to cut it in a tournament and in a small boat like that you don't have a monster cockpit in a 72 viking where it takes a while so i can go over because I'm part of the crew, because it's a center console, I go hit the LPs and get the, the the dredges up, and four guys clear, you know, seven rods in about two minutes, and we did 60 miles an hour. We were there in, I don't know how long, five minutes, and put them out, and we were the only other boat, only other boat to get a big eye bite. We got there. The boat was still like skidding with forward progress, and there was three or four lines out, and bang, we went right off. Sick, savage, dude. And then there's, you know, I'm on the radio to him. Hey, got him right next to you. And then there's seven other bows making their way towards us, and no one else catches. Yeah. So the speed's taking it from this fish 10 miles from here. What do you want to do? We have a decision to make to, well, that's easy. Just reel them in. Right. I'll be there in 10 minutes. The fish, the fish, huge. the fishability too of the center console, especially for the canyons, and the way that you like to fish too. Circle hooks, you know, for white marlin, you know, really being dialed into specific species when they're biting. You can have spreads ready to go yeah, already up forward. It's like you can do a spread change, like it's got fifty-two rod holders, dude. It's insane. We, we there, there were some <laughs> trips where we'd do five to ten spread changes in a day, yeah. and each one of them took less than a couple minutes to do you have like you have two guys walking the meat spread forward on and two other guys walking the 30s with circle hook ballyhoo leaders on them back yeah and maybe the other guy throwing out the bridge teasers and before you know it you have a full white spread in the water and it probably took 10 minutes and joe yeah. gagino casting poppers over our trolling lines <laughs> <laughs> that was like the the angel and the devil on my shoulders like oh there's another bag coming up should i tell joe about it oh, what the hell oh, joe here it comes 
<laughs> he got a couple on it though. He did. He did. He yeah, it was the coaster rod. It, it was important to yeah. him. So whatever. Whereas, the, whereas Casey, you, you rack up, you wrap up one of our circle hooks. But exactly. We got, we got spares. It was a lot of fun. Classic. Yeah. No, the speed, the speed and fishability of that thing, I was extremely impressed with. And for a you center know. console that you can take four real big eyes, twelve yellowfin plugs, your mahi bycatch. And make it all disappear and not have to walk over a bag. There's not many 60-footers that can do that. No. And another beauty of that boat is it holds so much damn fuel. You got to feed those motors, quad 400s, mm-hmm. but it holds so much fuel that you don't have to think about it. I don't do the math. I don't keep a log of how much fuel I'm burning because it doesn't matter. Unless I'm going to get into a four-day trip, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Wow. I've fished, I've, I've fished a an overnight in the canyon and then gone bluefin fishing two days later and with the same tank of fuel it's it holds so much it doesn't matter and that's another another game changer and like brian said the fishability you know you, you have a walk around you double on big eyes and maybe one's not behaving manny was on the bow and joe gugino was in the stern mm-hmm. and the other thing about this boat is that i have six swivel rod holders two up front two two midships and two out back and this summer in July and August, it was a three-week shot down south um, in Chatham where all the fish were on the bottom. So you could fish. You, in the, it, the bottom was 280 where we were. So you could fish one at 280, or if you felt like it, you could have put a balloon at 175. It wasn't as effective. With that Freeman, I have two swivel rod holders 35 feet apart. Mm-hmm. So Now you're fishing two down rods. Now you're fishing two down rods. Yeah. So we had two or three days where we doubled that's sick so you just come through and it was easy you doubled on down rods yeah you know it's great or i'd see man i'd see that big long elastic just snap and then i'd I'd hop on the rod and i'd look up front and someone's running to the rod up there because you just had eight fish on the screen and you got two baits 35 feet apart in the exact position they're supposed to be so it totally changes how you tune a fish speaking of that we should do that more on the donnell drifting i know the bow the bow rod holder Mm -hmm. and it also drifts it, it drifts unbelievable, and it drifts similar to a down east boat. I would put that boat in the ballpark of like a 42 Westmac or a 42 Duffy, and it sounds silly, and I wouldn't believe me either, but I've come from the down east boats, and with the cat hulls, it's just physics. You can't, you can't lean too hard because you can't lift one of those hulls out of the water. Right. So it's only going to lean so hard. And we had nights in the canyon with Brian where people are people are bringing us food, you know, warm <laughs> meals, and that Viking was oh, rocking yeah. its guts out, and we were sitting there, just sitting there. It, it's amazing how it drifts, but it kind of drifts a little stern too. I had to get used to that. Like the balloon, huh. if you're drifting, you know, you got like a point eight one knot drift. Right. The balloons tend to to go towards the stern, so you kind of drift like that, but you still drift slowly, like all. A lot of center consoles will drift down on me, just like I used to drift down on people with the Vikings mm-hmm. in, a, in a, and they had a down east boat. So the way it drifts, the open, the walk around, the the boat totally being open, which gets us a few times a year with rain, but <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. yeah, it, it's awesome. I don't know, I don't know how you could ever go back from having that boat once you've had one. So any boat in the future that they own, how, however big it's going to be, I think they'll always have a Freeman because 
you can't do in mono hulls what you can do with that boat. Hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. It's changing the game. It really is. I can't wait till they make dual hull down east boats. <laughs> Twin keels. Twin keels. <laughs> but it's also never enough, like we said earlier. So when we repower in a few years, there'll be 450. Those new 600 yeah. marks or whatever they are. More, I don't think I'd even do those, break. though. Those are so heavy. Yeah. The, the 46 Valhalla got 75 miles an hour with those four motors. And the 47 Freeman is doing 80 with the 450s. Wow. That's so the weight, defense. at some point, the weight isn't, right. the horsepower is not worth it because the motor weighs so damn much. Yeah. But there's an application for them, but I don't think Freeman will ever put those on their boats. Yeah. You're still getting 80 with 450. They, when, when's mergers. this first Sportfish boat going to go like, well, there's, a, there's already one over 90, right? Miles an hour? I don't know. I, I'm not well versed in that. I know, the, I know the McKim's boat's fast. That's one of the fastest you'll, ones out you'll there. You'll see you'll see fifty knot stuff, and there's some stuff already out there in the smaller sport fish market, but it's only so fast that a bit boat that size can do. Yeah. It's dangerous enough. <laughs> <laughs> if your boat could go hundred, you'd go hundred. <laughs> but uh, uh, uh I have sixty, seventy, eighty, ninety ton boat going that fast. Yeah. There's a lot not that can happen. Yeah. It's not easy to stop. Any good stories of things hitting the boat going that fast? Uh, but say, yeah, the, the sheer waters rejoiced <laughs> when we hauled the boat. We had, um, on the way home in late fall, I think it might have been one of the December days. Yeah, I was not on the boat, but I saw the, I saw the aftermath. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll backtrack to that, to that story. I had, um, it literally looked like a National Geographic gannet migration <laughs> <laughs> off the coast of, off the, off the tip of Monomoy. And I slowed down to about 30 because one of those things would, would start to break things. Yeah. But yeah, we had, um, in the beginning of the year when we got the boat, the, the sea ducks get out of the way. The shearwaters get out of the way for the most part, but the ones that you have to look out for are <laughs> the ones that instead of going left or right, they're like flying a few, like a foot above the water, and then they just elevate. That's it. That's all they do is elevate, and that's yeah. the oh shit. So we had one of them go into the windshield, and <laughs> a well-built windshield, because all it did was separate the screws from the hard top. But he, he came in about halfway and just looked Dude. at us, and then just laid his head down. <laughs> to hit a bird hard enough to, to 62 miles an hour. from a hard top. <laughs> 62 miles an hour, that poor thing. In uh, the way his head is tucked in there in the picture, like you could not, I don't think you could place it like that yourself anymore perfectly. No, he, he, he must have just hit that 90 degree angle where the windshield met the hard top perfectly. That poor bastard. But yeah, he was, just, he was just laying there. He never moved. He never said anything. He just, <laughs> just looked at me like crap. We had, yeah, we, uh, yeah, we, we probably killed. I don't know, a dozen shear waters this year. But then some, a lot of them, they, they shoot out the tunnel and then they just shake their head and swim off like, what the hell just happened? Yeah. Yeah. No one's going to believe this. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sometimes you hear them bounce off. And I try to, in the beginning of the year, I didn't really avoid them that much because you figure they get out of the way. 50 and under, they get out of the way. If you're going over 50 miles an hour and you're coming up on shear waters, you got to either slow down or move out of the way Yeah, because they can't react fast enough. So yeah, I guess part of the learning curve, I'll probably kill a few less birds this year. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, we had one of them going too, but that might not be a, a podcast story. Yeah, I think that might be an offline story. That one's pretty <laughs> damn funny. Um, so, ta- so back to, not back to, but next, next progression here, tactics. So we always like to ask, you know, kind of one specialty fishing tactic of everyone kind of through and through how you set up, you know, um, every little nuance you can think of, or you're, you're willing to share anyways, but you mentioned planer fishing. Taylor and I don't do a lot of planer fishing up here in the Bay and the bank and mass Bay. And you do it quite often down in Chatham and in the Canyon stuff, you know, in other places, Wahoo fishing, whatever, but specifically Chatham around here, how do you set up for it? Are there conditions you look for? Kind of give us planer fishing from Miles' perspective, I guess. It it probably just falls into where sometimes you just sometimes you just know if it's maybe early season or later season or no one's been out for a few days and you know you might have to cover a little ground or it was good a handful of days ago. We finally got out yesterday, or I know sooner got out yesterday. And the life's gone. You got to look around. You got to cover some ground before you set up. Um, you could. You got two choices. You could either let's let's troll tomorrow while we look around, and then we can always stop and switch over, or just take the rocket ship and run around until we find what we want. Hit mm-hmm. all my areas. Find what we want. But what if it's foggy? Right. We screwed. deal with fog all the time. It's the fog factory. Mm-hmm. The some of my old mates come up and fish with us and or they spend a season with me and then they might move on and go back to florida and you know the three foggy days a year don't bother them anymore like, yeah this is where you learn radar so if it's going to be foggy and i know it's going to be foggy and maybe you don't have it totally dialed in on where they are and you're going to troll we'll fish i mean i'll just i'll troll three rods sometimes people are like let's add spreader bars to it i'll just troll a pair of long riggers maybe a center rigger but i always have a planer rod out if I'm going to troll out east, I'll always have a planer rod. Guys used to think it was better in the fall. I I catch them from June 1st until we haul the boat on planers. And it's probably, I would say, close to 50%, 50% of my bites are on it. Hmm. And, and that's a really high number. And it sometimes is. it seems like you'll fire off four in a row and they all eat the planer. But, you know, you, you might not mark those high fish that are zooming around in the sand eels that are going to eat your ballyhoo. But those fish that eat your planer, you know, those fish might be 40, 50, 60 feet under the boat. You might mark those fish. Or if you start seeing a lot of them there, you know you're going to get a planer bite. But I'll fish it if you have an LP or an electric reel that can pull a number 32, which, you know, if you're doing four knots into the current, that thing's pulling about 50 pounds. So you got to have something that can stop it be it like an 80 loaded to full or a 130 or an electric reel. But I'll pull that on about 125 feet worth of 220 spectra. So with the spectra, you're going to cut a lot further. And it's not like totally 45 degrees, but it's pretty close. So if you have, and they'll only fish so deep. The deepest you can get it is pretty much in that 35 to 40 foot range. Hmm. It's about as far down as you can get a planer and be able to stop it or not be fishing it on spectra. That's too light. And you're going to pop it. But, and then I'll, I'll have whatever rod you're going to fish the planer on. That one's going to go out about 125, 150 feet. You're talking about the bait, like the actual bait. The bait, rod. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So 
I don't even. I mean, it's it's no secret. The my my planer rod bait is a split build horse. Every time, all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it it's, it's heads down a little bit when you hold that thing in the wash and you watch him swim. It's heads beautiful. down a little bit, and he just paddles like a snake. So the split build naked is my favorite on the nine knot seventy six ninety eight DT. Um, nice and sharp, but that bait's about 125 to 150 behind the boat, a nice elastic on it and a number 64 in a way that's not going to slip because it will, it will be pulling. So if it's not put on right, that'll just slip, 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 slip the whole slide way. back up towards the LP you mean, or whatever. Yep. It will. And now your bait's not being held down where it's supposed to be. And then when you, and then to a two way snap swivel. So the snap swivel is on the elastic. And then the snap swivel goes to the mainline spectra. And then you just slowly let it down. And you also have, so where my elastic is to the bait, there's now, it's measured to right about 125 feet or however far your planer's down, however much spectra you have out. It's then measured whether you color the line or you floss a loop there or you just make a whip. So now you know this is roughly the same distance as the planer is from the rod tip. So you don't let it out, you know, people who aren't with you all the time, or maybe it's not always you that can set it. People can set it and it's not let out too far with a huge belly or not far enough to where you got a planer down, but the bait's only 20 feet below the boat. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's the way I I rig that. And it's always fun to watch the, the rod with the ballyhoo on it, you'll see it just jump. It'll look like, you know, it'll look like you got whacked and that's it. And then it just slow, like two or three seconds later, it just starts to load up on the drag screens. It's such a fun bite. But I'll always fish that planer wherever we are. And if you don't have something you can pull it on, you just got to take one of your 130s or an 80 out of the basement and, and rig that up for it. But if you're going to troll out east, you're silly not to have a planer in the water. And you catch a lot on riggers, long riggers. Yeah. Um, but you, you're silly not to have one in the water. I have one question about that. How do you deal with weeds or how does it deal with weeds? Is it better with the weeds? Is it a pain in the ass with the weeds? For the most part, they'll hang up on the planer. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a, it's almost like the sea rake. If you're in a lot of weeds, just like anything else, you're going to have to check it a lot. Right. But you'll probably, you'll load up that planer threefold over what might show up on the bait, you know? And how much weeds does it take before the planer trips? Uh, that, that you're really, you're not tripping that planer with weeds. It's pulling so hard. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you have to hit. I've, I don't think I've ever tripped one due to, I've, I've had a blue shark eat it and I've had a tuna fish eat it. <laughs> but itself, that's the only yeah. time I've, I've really tripped one of those. They're so heavy and they pull so hard that you won't trip it on a tuna fish bite. And that's only a number 64 band breaking. Right. But you're not, you're not going to trip that. You usually have to, when you get a fish on, you got to check it. Uh, you have to trip it yourself to, to then be able to reel it in. What about, um, I know speed's a, uh, controversial topic amongst people that troll, but sweet spot for speed, or is there like something in action you're looking for in the LP rod that, you know, it's pulling right, or are you just swimming the ballyhoo until it looks right and then staying at that speed? Yeah, I think what? it's what your belly, what makes your ballyhoos look the best. Cause if you're, you know, depending on your tide, you're doing 4.8 heading North, but there's not as much 
pressure against the bait to make them swim correctly is if you're, and then you're doing 3.2 to the south, but you feel like you're not going anywhere, but your bait actually looks better because you get tied against it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we used to gauge all that by when we used to pull spreader bars all the time, how, what makes your spreader bars look the best. Right. But if you're not pulling spreader bars now, you kind of got to gauge your current with your speed and, and just get into your sweet spots. If you wanted to throw like a, a general range out there, it'd be like kind of a four, two to a four, eight kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but you know, sometimes you get moon current. Sometimes you have, which I try so not to fish out there. So many variables it's rough, to it's it. Calm, it's but if you want to throw just a general number, I would try to stay under five and Hey, sometimes you're getting bites at five, but you got a lot of tide on your ass. Yeah. Um, but I would try to stay away from the fives and boats are different. I had to get a little more used to it with the Freeman. You know, it's, you're so used to big boats that you like that there's no wash behind the boat. I'm, I'm not going anywhere, but yeah, you are. You just have, you know, small outboard propellers and not 40 inch wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, loaded question. There's a lot of, lot of variables there, but um, if you think you're going too fast, you probably are. Yeah, And if you feel like you're not going anywhere, which, hey, with squid bars, we used to get bites at three knots on squid bars. Oh, yeah. But you got to, and if you if you have a question and you're not sure what the right speed is, put that ballyhoo, not in the wash, but get it out into the clean water and see what the ballyhoo's doing. If he's just like, if he's just swinging back and forth, then you're a little slow. You, once yeah. you see that 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 snake-like action, that, that tail movement, then... Hey, look at your GPS and see what the speed is. Mm-hmm. And it's not one thing with trolling too. It seems like yeah, there's always a sweet spot that you get bit on all the time. But sometimes, sometimes changing the speed or doing something different actually will get you the bite. Like for instance, out east, you know, following life, following whales, whatever. Like sometimes those whales are going six and a half knots, you know, and you got to like catch up with them. And as soon as it seems like you're starting to catch up and you're almost going faster than you normally troll bam you're on so true you know just like because that's what all the other baits do and it's all going that fast too so yeah that's a really good point as long as it can swim correctly right but bait it can be tricky but what other you got any other tactical questions for him before we move to uh scary stories um regarding planers anything He already talked about Chatham in July a bit, fishing on the bottom. You know, the setups and stuff aren't all that different than what we've already talked about, fishing the bay and the bank. Just This year was exceptional there. It was Dude, some of the for, stuff for three weeks it was Unbelievable, huh? Yeah, it's it's funny putting four twenties, you know. Ball 30, bag together. <laughs> 30 feet from the bait, 40 feet from the bait, wherever people like to fish them. But right. yeah, usually we have one on. On the down, let's let's get a second one on there. Okay, I like the angle a little better. But now it's like add a third and add a fourth. Holy crap. Yeah. You know, that's that's a lot of weight. Were you doing the ball sack or the, the spaced out approach? No, I had the uh the the, the pair of Tyrones, right? <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All next to each other. We were doing that a lot of Peacot Hill. It's pretty much it's probably the same current. We just don't fish Peacot Hill all the time. Yeah. You know, maybe it's a little faster though. We had to hit the bottom in 280. And then I, we had a bunch of times where even, even with Manny, we, I didn't get to five cranks. I didn't get to eight cranks off the bottom. We had a few times where I didn't even get that. I didn't even get the elastic 
wrapped over the rod to the first guide yet. Mm-hmm. Manny had it like, what, what's going on here? I think you're getting a bite. And he had the elastics ripped out of his hand. But when they came through, I mean, and where the hell did those fish go? Because there was acres of them, and lots of gone. them, and then they just faded off. Did yep. they go east? Did they, where the hell did they go? And, that's, they and that specific size class, too. We they didn't- were all like like 85s to 92s. Yeah. There weren't any horses in there, which thank God, because the weather was pretty nice. So you had a lot of, you had a lot of people that were, hey, you want to catch a tuna fish? You want to start learning? You get your own boat, a few 130s. Now's the time. So there was a lot of those out there. Right. So thank God it wasn't just a, uh, a charge of moose fish. And thank God the season wasn't open. Yeah. Some of that fishing, man. I mean, we didn't get a chance to go down there, but talking to you was just like... We'd fight four and go cod fishing, you know, (laughs) you'd have bite, you'd have buddies that would stay there and see how many they could catch, which I never really cared about the numbers. Mandy Mandy would, would drive them nuts. Like we're leaving this to go cod fishing. Well, how many, how many want to fight, you know? Yeah. Cause they don't all live. Yeah. You know, you can swim them all. You can do your best, but you know, you don't know if you hooked that fish in the gut and ripped it up to his corner. Mm -hmm. You know, we're fishing all grouper hooks, you know, they, they all wind up in the hinge, but not every they don't Hook always start starts there. where yeah, they don't all start where they, yeah. they end up. Yeah. So how many of this how many of these things you want to kick the shit out of? Yeah, and you just start getting complacent with it. You know, right. you're up in high numbers and you're going faster and faster, and you're not really taking the time that you need to take to. Right. Let's hurry up and get rid of this thing and go set back up again. Well, this right. thing needs forty five minutes to yeah. get some life back into them. Yeah. yeah. What about um another question we always like to ask? Mark gave us a a crazy story about sinking, which I'm sure you've heard from him, but um, what about scary stuff on the water? Any experiences that just stick with you? Or? I, I've been so fortunate. I, I And I, I, I say this not in like a doom and gloom way, but like I haven't been towed in from the canyons yet. I don't know how You're many times I've gone there, but I have not. Wood. I'm not superstitious. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I don't care about knocking on wood. Like at some point my time's coming. Is that yeah. 20, summer 2021? Maybe, but hey, the Freeman's got four motors. So yeah. unless I have some kind of monster electrical problem, right. you know, I'm going to have a motor that gives me headway. Um, I've never put a hole in the boat. Thank God. Um, no fires. And I, I know Mark's story. That's, that's scary as hell. And it happened. Anybody, I, I know probably half a dozen personal friends who have been in a raft. Like that boat is gone or it's sinking or it's on fire. They've been in a raft and they all have the same, you know, the same explanation is you have from the second, oh shit enters your mind to the second, like you you're in a raft 20 feet away from the boat looking at it. It might be five minutes. It's fast. Yeah. So you know where your stuff is. We, our ditch bag has everything from granola bars to waters to we have, I think we have four EPIRBs in it. I have a satellite phone, all my expired flares with current flares and a Garmin inReach. I mean, if I'm in a raft for two hours, I'm going to be pissed. You know? <laughs> yeah. We have everything we need. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I hope that day never comes. Yeah. And like what I talked about earlier, the, the boat that we gill netted dogfish on, um, we used to monkfish on it. We yellowtail. We we did everything with that boat, but that boat was the one. God, it's got to be fifteen years ago now. Remember the boat off of Situate uh, during the Daytona Five Hundred in February that burned up and sank. So that was the boat that 
I was on and the, the, the poor kid who, who died in the fire, I trained him. So I remember he was, he would come on that boat. He was throwing up all day. And I think the first two days we, he fished with us, I ate his lunch (laughs) because he certainly wasn't, you know? And, and that, and that also happened fast. You know, when they, when they jumped out of, off the bow into the life raft, their boots were melting to the deck because it happened so fast. There was flame shooting out of that wooden boat deck. So yeah, that, um, not to totally change the mood in the room, but everyone I know says it happens fast. So I think about that all the time. So, you know, anyone who fished on Pescaria knows like I, I kept all that stuff in that port forward locker. Like if we ever say, Hey, it's go time. This is where everything is. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the vault, which has, um, you know, the Garmin inReach and the sat phone in it that I keep in the console, but anything else that we need to survive that day is in that port forward locker. That's the life rafts. That's the ditch bag. That's the survival suits. That's everything. So we're going into one place and doing it fast. Yeah. But thank God that day hasn't happened yet. The only time that I ever like went to that next level of like, this sucks was in the rain, the summer. <laughs> you pour it on. No, um, Lou, actually Lou Diffusco and I, dear friend, we left Bermuda and I always use commander, um, weather forecasting out of New Hampshire. If I was doing like an international travel, this is the country I'm going to, this is the country I'm leaving from. Tell me when to go. This is how they want to know how fast you go during the day, how fast at night, so they can hmm. track you hmm. and tell you where you're going to be and what the weather you're going to see is. And there's a meteorologist that gives you your forecast. So we left Bermuda. They said, hey, you're leaving it. And they nailed it on the way there. Leave Friday at three o'clock in the afternoon. And it was as flat as this floor the whole way, which ruined our fishing because we just take what was given to us and we ran the whole way. Mm-hmm. Um, but we left Bermuda. We got about 100 miles south of the island, and this gale coming off of South Carolina was supposed to stall for whatever reason. The f- story gets more fuzzier by the year, but the front was supposed to st- uh, gale was supposed to stall due to this front that whatever never materialized, so it showed up faster. So finally, after about two hours into it, in an 80 merit, mind you, we buried the bow probably seven times in a row. The water is rolling over the deck, up the windshield, over the hard top, and dumping into the cockpit. And by the time it dumps into the cockpit, the transom slams down, and that wave curls back in. So now all the hatches are popped. There's like two feet of water in the cockpit of an 80-footer. Like, oh, shit. Time to turn around. But that's when like I, I actually went and grabbed my ditch bag and put it on the helm chair next to me. And the mm-hmm. second I did that, that's when I said, we're, we're done here. Yeah. Yeah. So then we turned around and we did eight knots up them and 23 knots down them. <laughs> in an 80-footer. In an 80-footer the whole way back to Bermuda. And then the customs lady just looked at me because we never slept. And the customs lady looked at me and she didn't even really ask. She just took my clearance out of the country and just ripped it up and said, come back when you want to leave. Yeah. But That's crazy. I don't, I don't know what I looked like, but Lou remembers that <laughs> night very well too. Because we talked about it for like probably 20 miles like ah, well let's see how big it is you know how how much further maybe we get into it we can kind of get out of the back side of it it won't be great but we can at least make some headway but when you're down to nine knots getting getting crushed that's kind of the end of it yeah. so we 
Yeah. Oh my God. That's the closest I've come to a no shit moment, but it was still a, you know, I don't like the situation we're in. I don't care about the size of the boat. I don't think we ever came close to anything bad happening, but when right. your wheels in your head start turning towards the bad happening thoughts, it's time to, time to turn around. Change it up. Yeah. So it's a good example of being responsible. You know, there's a lot of, uh, it's been a lot of days too, even on the bank and stuff where, you know, there's people out there that really, I mean, we barely should be out there. And then you're seeing a 23 foot center console out there. You know, it's just, things can happen so, so fast. And I'm so glad with the, the, the George's gold rush that lasted, you know, the first couple of years were, were lights out and the first year was kind of like the people who knew about it were doing it. And then years three and four, you started seeing boats out there that are like, you talk to draggers and pair trawlers and people who fish out there commercially, big 90 foot stuff. They'll tell you like, hey, there was a few nights I stemmed into it and I went backwards. Like it gets bad out here fast. Yeah. Yeah. We're 150 miles from land. The forecast out here isn't always right. So thankfully nothing out there ever happened with, you know, I, I saw, you know, 25 28 footers out there before like man no, it's, yeah i'm all sorry with that <laughs> i like to be warm oh <laughs> uh, well dude believe it or not we've been going for one hour and 45 minutes it's pretty good it it's really good. good this has been awesome um can't thank you enough for coming and doing this with us but um you usually ask people how do we find you on social media and stuff. You're all, you're known as Instagramless Miles, so you're not gonna be able to find him there. But I know you're on Facebook and stuff. I got the old man's Facebook, and I promise Manny, when the season starts, I'll I'll be on Instagram. I can't wait for that. Yeah, he, he's looking forward to it. <laughs> oh well, this has been awesome. Um, we'll definitely do this again many times. Well, I hope so. It's 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 fun to talk fishing, especially Oop. in March. We got to get Lou in here too. Do a do a uh, four person podcast with us three and Lou. That would be who's that? Lou Defusco. Oh, he'd be he'd be great. Just story time with him for an hour or so. He's another one with stories. We got a lot of good stories together. Seems like that that same trip when we came home from Bermuda. That after we turned around and regrouped, we left a week later, and we got in the water three times, just shooting shit. (laughs) <laughs> there's awesome. a tsunami buoy like <laughs> halfway so it's two two fifty east of charleston and we hopped in the water on that thing in fifteen thousand feet of water in 80 degree wow that's water. sick it, and stupid but when you're in your late 20s you don't think about this <laughs> where's the oceanic white tip because it's not far <laughs> yeah. but yeah we, we shot things there that's cool it was fun awesome everything we found floating that's sweet well, thanks, man. Thanks for coming. We'll see you uh, again soon, hopefully on the water before we do another one of these. We'll end it with OG's words of wisdom. Just remember, you can't catch them if you don't have a hook in the water. Always trust your instincts. And uh, the last one, you'll just have to keep listening. Stay tight, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Seabros Fishing Podcast. We just want to take another moment to thank our sponsors, Mass Bay Guides, LT Marine Products, Black Oak LED, Deep Apparel, and Cosa Del Mar Sunglasses. 
All the promo codes that we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, you can find in the podcast episode descriptions at seabrosfishing.com slash podcast or anywhere um, anywhere you guys like to listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find all that information there. Please also, if you can, take a moment. Don't forget to rate the show. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate all the feedback as well. Uh, we've reached out in regards to recording some Q&A sessions. We've got some great feedback, some great questions. So if you can, just take a minute, throw us a rating online, and and keep this thing going. We're, we've been having a blast doing it, and we, and we really want to continue it for as long as possible. So again, thank you, and, uh, and we appreciate you all listening. For the latest content, uh, podcast info, fishing reports, general updates. Please make sure that you check us out and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Seabros Fishing, Mass Bay Guides, or our personal accounts, MBG Taylor and MBG Brian. Um, if you have ideas for podcast topics, podcast guests, you know, where they're on there all the time, very responsive. Please don't hesitate to to reach out and um and uh shoot the breeze with us if you if you want to talk fishing or if you want to just brainstorm on the podcast um also if you are interested in getting some seabros swag uh maybe one of our tuna mark patch hats that seem to be pretty popular uh we came out with buffs this year that have like a wolf pack on them that are pretty cool like a wolf pack of tuna or whatever fish species that you like to mark on your fish finder uh those are also available at the Seabros website. So just visit seabrosfishing.com right there on the front page. You can uh, scroll through the the gallery of products that we offer uh, so far. That's all we have for you guys today. Thanks for listening and stay tight.